first episode, we talked about low latency HLS and like what got us to this point. Now comes where we were building up to, which is Apple's newly released spec. It's super interesting. While we're kind of a long way from the original conversations and the original specification, I actually don't think we're that far at all. The initial specification had a requirement to push parts over HTTP2. When you think about how HLS works at a fundamental level, the fundamental mechanisms and the fundamental thought process behind this specification hasn't really changed. I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the Demux Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of VideoJS, the open source video player. And I'm Phil, streaming specialist at Mux in London and organizer of the London Video Technology Meetup. And you're listening to Demuxed, a podcast for and by engineers working with video. Demuxed is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. We're always looking for topics, so if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at Demuxed. Hey everybody, welcome to part two of the low latency HLS series. I guess I guess two things are a series. <laughs> we're, we're with we're without Hef today. And when I say without, I mean we're celebrating Hef today. He um, he just had a second child, so uh, he's out on leave, paternity leave, and hopefully he'll be around for the next episode. But we're not going to have him today because he's enjoying a new life in his family. So that's great. So lucky! Congratulations, Hef. Congratulations, Hef. If you see him on if you see him on Twitter, which you won't because he's not on Twitter really, uh, you, should, <laughs> you should tell him congratulations or, or send him an email. You should tell him to get off Twitter. Is what you should do. <laughs> you should probably tell him to get off Twitter. So yeah, first episode we talked about kind of the background of low latency HLS and like what got us to this point. Community specs, Apple stance, what latency looks like in these different ways of delivering video, blah, blah, blah. And so now comes kind of where where we were building up to, which is Apple's newly released spec. So before we jump in to talking about the, the new spec in detail, can you, can you give us a quick TLDR on like what we're seeing in this new spec? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great idea before we get really into the weeds of it. So the new spec is oriented around delivering what Apple are calling parts. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about those. You can just think of these as sub-segments, uh, really, and those can either be transport stream segments or, or CMAF chunks. And there's, there's a new playlist syntax to advertise these little parts, which are between you know, a third of a second, let's say, and about a second on the bottom of a manifest. There's then two new blocking behaviors that are, that are in the specification. One is a blocking playlist reload, as Apple calls it. So this is allowing you to request a manifest update. And this is another part of it is manifest updates or delta updates to manifests are just little bits at the end of a manifest. So you don't have to load a full manifest anymore. And fundamentally, you're, you can ask for these before they're generated. Um, so that's blocking playlist updates, the second part of it. The third piece of it is blocking preload hints, which is the ability to advertise these parts before they actually become available. So again, you can ask for a part and you have to block on the server side and then respond to a part when it's available. Um, those parts have to be delivered over HTTP2. That's another piece of the, the puzzle. And then finally, there's something called uh, rendition reports as well, which are designed to allow you to jump faster between different renditions within a piece of media. Awesome. Okay, then let's get into the weeds a little bit. 
Yeah, of course. I can't remember when we recorded the last one. I'm not going to give away real-world dates, but uh, it's a couple of weeks since we recorded the last one, obviously. And the exciting things happened since then is we've had a WWDC, right? Um, don't have one of those every day, but we had one of those. And uh, it was, I, I don't know, I really enjoyed WWDC this year with it going online. A lot of the content felt a little bit more, I don't know, cleaned up. I don't know, it was, it was actually really great. I really enjoyed it. And... Kind of the big news from from the low latency perspective is we kind of all knew there were a lot of changes ongoing in the specification, but there is now kind of a, a timeline for that being available in Apple's platform. So low latency HLS will be available to everyone, as described by by Roger in iOS fourteen, uh, tvOS fourteen, watchOS seven. For all your <laughs> yeah, this is on the list. <laughs> for all your low latency video on your watch uh, requirements, uh, and it's dead. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, okay, it's really low latency for about five minutes, uh, <laughs> and macOS as well. So that's macOS eleven, I believe, technically, and I have forgotten the code name. Matt will know it off the top of his head. Uh, Big Sur, I remember it. Big Sur, that's it. Macos Big Sur, nice. okay. I, which I believe is Macos Eleven, according to the the pre builds. I was about to say Catalina, and I'm pretty sure that was like three versions yeah, ago. That's, that's a while ago now. <laughs> um, but but beyond that was and and with the kind of available to everyone, the the requirement to use an entitlement to enable low latency HLS is seemingly gone in these releases. Could you could you tell me what that means? Mm, yeah, absolutely. So so really, what that means is. With the pre-release, there was what's called an entitlement, which is kind of these flags you set on your app when you put it in for for App Store review um, that might enable certain features that aren't available to everyone. And low latency playback was behind one of these flags because Apple didn't want to let everyone get access to it. And I, I'm not actually sure that any app made it into the App Store with that entitlement, but you know this new version won't have any flagging or anything. It will just be enabled by default now. What, as far as I understand it right now, uh, is interesting is I, I don't think this is going to be available in uh, MacOS's Safari natively. I think it is going to be behind kind of the app layer right now, or at least it, it didn't seem to work in the, the testing I was doing. So I think I think it is going to still be hidden in kind of, you need to be using AV player a little bit beyond it just being enabled. Now, that might be a bug or something, but it's certainly going to be you know, when you're using like an AV player on iOS or or on tvOS or you know in in iPad OS, it'll it'll be there and available. So that might look a little bit different, but it should all be there and magically working with no magical entitlements needed. And what I think is is super exciting about that is beyond that, the work that's been done really has brought kind of every HLS feature into that release. So this isn't going to break anything, you're still going to be able to do things like add insertion, you're still going to be able to do DRM, you're still going to be able to do all the other cool things you still do with HLS today, but you're going to be able to do them at low latency. Admittedly, in some cases, a couple of uh, changes um, to how you do it, but it, it will be fundamentally compatible with all of those HLS feature set, which I think is really exciting for an ecosystem. You know, there's, there's relatively little sacrifices happening there. The Safari decision feels big. I mean, I'm going to put tinfoil hat on for just a second. Uh, <laughs> love, love all of you at Apple, I promise. But like on one on one side of things, that's that's a huge incentive to go native. Mm. 
mm-hmm. versus web. And that would suck. That would suck really bad if they were just like, you have to use MSE, which is like questionably supported anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be super interesting if if they don't choose to do it. It feels like it would feel like a weird decision. One of the weird things was like even if you put a low latency HLS stream into Safari today in the current macOS, you actually get it trying to make some part requests. And so something obviously slipped into a macOS release somewhere, uh, and I don't know whether that's been kind of backed out or what the real plan is there. But yeah, okay. So we can just assume it's not ready yet. Not that it's not coming. I, I think it's it's not ready. Okay. Is my gut instinct. You know, it certainly is ready under AV Player, which is great. So that's probably the most exciting thing, anyway. Okay, that makes me feel a lot better. But <laughs> okay, so um, when you mentioned the standard HLS feature support, mm-hmm. backing that back. Uh, so for the context of uh, the Kind of the community spec, the Bartos spec. I need to write a spec just so I can have my name next to it because that always <laughs> makes me feel really like, ah, oh, Bartos. Yes, I know that guy. Yes. So yeah, Bartos. The Bartos spec talked about like the, a, a huge feature of it was it being backwards compatible. Um, mm-hmm. It was just like some extension tags, and if your player was low latency aware, mm-hmm. then it would use them. But if it wasn't, it was fine. It would just carry on as usual. When you say that this supports the standard HLS feature set, is this also backwards compatible? Is like HLSJS going to be fine with a low latency, even like right now? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It really should be. It is designed to be. Um, there is, as as many people kind of listening to this will know, you know, there is a a big difference between how the HLS spec is interpreted on some devices. You know, there are certainly devices out there that just you know. Can't deal with unrecognized, you know, XX tags, which kind of suck. But you know, at a, at a fundamental level, yes, you know, it, it doesn't redefine anything that already exists in the specification, which is really important. It's only an additive uh, specification, and there is kind of a very strict set of requirements to turn on low latency mode that will need to be satisfied. And you know, so long as your players except uh, you know don't crash on tags they don't don't recognize it is totally compatible uh, with existing players um, you can you can pick up the latest reference uh, streams from Apple and chuck them in your your players already if you do want to check that your player doesn't have issues with them but yeah it, it should totally be compatible with with really any existing player that's well written out of there for sure nice I, I mean I'm sure that's going to it's going to break something somewhere. Uh, oh, 100%. I, I could name two or three devices that will crash, but we'll go so first. I mean, old Android HLS support was flawless, so nothing nothing will go wrong there. Perfect. And and of course, smart TVs are perfect in their reading of a HLS specification. And they stay up to date, which is great. Yeah, yeah, right? Actually, that's, that's a really interesting point as well. One of the things that I think many of us weren't necessarily expecting and which which Apple have done a, a great job on here is all of this is now in the RFC version of the HLS specification as well. This isn't this isn't an Apple specific extension. This is in the HLS RFC, the what Roger has referred to as V2, but is I think actually V7 of the HLS RFC contains all the low latency protocols, including some interoperability stuff and some reference implementation stuff. So, you know, this isn't this isn't something that's that's hopefully only going to exist on Apple devices. This really is something that that Apple is saying, hey, here's the HLS RFC, this is a V2 of it, it includes a low latency interoperability mode. And hey, go at it, device manufacturers, stick it in your stick it in your smart TV, put it in your set-top box or whatever. So uh, that, I think, is a big 
positive in this. You know, it's not not going to be an Apple specific thing anymore. It's going to be a hopefully industry wide uh, available for adoption, or at least much more easily. Nice. Okay, cool. So let's let's talk about this the protocol a little bit underlying this thing. Mm. So there was, and and I guess before we dig too far into there, I would love to hear a little bit about what happened with some of the more controversial pieces of the initial announcement of this. Because mm-hmm. there was a lot of the crying and gnashing of teeth was around like, no CDNs really support this. Mm-hmm. This is like technically really difficult to implement. Like, Where have we come from, from that initial announcement in your mind? Yeah, great question. Fantastic. It's, it's super interesting. While we're kind of a, a long way from where we, the original conversations and the original specification, I actually don't think we're that far at all. You know, the really what the challenges boiled down to in that initial specification and, and the conversations that came off it was the initial specification had a requirement to push segments over, well, push parts to be more accurate, over HTTP2. The fundamental mechanisms and the fundamental thought process behind this specification hasn't hasn't really changed in my mind. You know, when you think about how HLS works at a fundamental level, there is this polling interval on the manifest, right? You have to to poll the manifest to see that there's a new segment available to then ask for that segment. And really what the idea was all the time behind this version of the specification was to try and reduce that polling, to try and minimize the amount of polling and the waiting and the interval that that really happened. And this is phrased as, uh, in the case of kind of Roger's presentations, as reducing segment delay. And I think in my mind originally this was about reducing number of round trips, but the way that it's phrased now is kind of reducing segment delay, which is reduce the time spent waiting for a segment to start coming down. And that includes both kind of that poll cycle uh, of polling manifest and then uh, having to make an upfront request for, for the segment as well when you know it's become available. So originally that was fundamentally addressed by HTTP2 push in combination with the, the manifest request. So Starting with something that that is still in the new specification, the new version of the specification, is you can now ask for a manifest in advance of it being available, or or in this case, slightly specifically, a delta manifest. So delta manifests are a new concept in HLS manifests. It allows you to not have to get the full manifest when you want a manifest update. You can just ask for kind of a little snapshot of the latest piece of that manifest. This is great because uh, manifest bloat is a very real thing in HLS, and it's one of the things that Dash generally doesn't suffer from as well. So, you know, you're not transferring around these huge, even if gzipped, uh, list of segments anymore. You're only Mm -hmm. transferring around these little deltas for for the head of your manifest, as it were. Excuse my ignorance, but is this akin to like HTTP byte range requests? Like how how does that delta... Yeah, you could could absolutely look at it that way. Uh, It doesn't work as a a range request. Uh, It kind of could, interestingly. Range requests are something super important in this spec that we'll, we'll come on to for sure. Really, you just say, 
So if you if you think about how HLS segment numbers work, right, you have this just incrementing segment number. You can say, hey, only give me the manifest after segment 100, for example. And it might be that there's one or two segments after 200 or whatever. So really just, just saying, in your manifest response, throw away the first, you know, hundred segments of this this manifest or thousand or ten thousand. And when you're working with really small segments, that that can add up to quite a lot of bloat that's being reduced. Right. Um, so really you just it's it's this new thing called the origin API is what it's been referred to as in the specification. But it basically defines a bunch of things that you can set as parameters when you ask for a a manifest, including yeah, skip up to a certain part of the manifest. And that's that's a super cool bit of technology that's going to make a, a big difference. Um, it doesn't stop you having to ask for a full manifest when you first start playing back content. So there's still going to be a little bit of bloat when you first start playback. But for like ongoing subscribers, it'll be it'll be quite a significant improvement on the uh, chattiness of a protocol, which is great. Right. So I- interestingly enough, that almost feels like glorified pagination. Oh, yeah. Completely agree. So originally, the next kind of step on that was uh, those requests, those partial manifests, were going to be able to to block until there was a change. So you'd be able to ask for a a delta manifest update for a manifest, so for kind of these future upcoming parts. I'll talk more about parts in a second, but you're going to be able to ask for these upcoming upcoming manifest updates before they happen, which is cool. And this is something that survives into the spec today. And, and this, uh, in the specification, is uh, called blocking playlist reload. So you ask for an update for playlist um, before that update has happened. And then when it happens, you know that request gets unblocked and suddenly you've got that information. Now, originally... When that Delta update was released from a blocking request, originally there was going to be a HTTP2 push chained off the back of that uh, response. So the idea would be that, hey, give me the next manifest update, wait. Okay, the next manifest update's here. By the way, I also happen to know that you're going to need this part of video as well, so I'm going to push that to you at the same time. And that's where the HTTP2 push piece came into this. And that was fundamentally the the piece that challenged most of the major CDNs right now. And beyond that, it it also created a, a major problem. So taking a little bit of a step back. So HTTP2 as a general concept is pretty well supported, right? Yeah, overall. Yep. It's it's pretty much something you can get on you know, all the major CDNs is a fundamental piece of functionality. Most programming languages, HTTP implementation supports it by default now. Yep. So HTTP2, you know, a, a now a widely supported technology. Unfortunately, HTTP2 push is a less widely supported kind of piece of that specification. You know, from the big CDNs, there was, I, I think, only one that at the time it was announced could do a HTTP2 push, but specifically a HTTP2 push programmatically. This was something that was kind of available as a, well, if if kind of all you're doing is like serving a HTML page and you want to push the CSS along with it, was something that was in there for a couple of the major CDNs. But being able to do this programmatically was, was not something that was available. And 
Specifically, there was a header that has been defined as the HTTP2 link header, which was being used to link together a kind of a couple of objects. So if you were responding with a, a, a HTML page, for example, and you wanted to bundle in that CSS, but you needed to do it in a kind of dynamic way, this link header was being used to then kind of give the CDN some knowledge of what other thing to go and get from the origin to then package up for this HTTP2 response that then included a push as well. And what had become the problem there and the limitation or, or one of the large limitations with, with how this was being approached was while that worked, it required an extra round trip to the origin. So in this, this Delta Manifest update, after this, this Delta Manifest was released back to the CDN, the CDN would then be reading the link header and saying, oh, shoot, now I have to go off again to the origin and get the partial segment that I need to package up and send as a HTTP2 push. So that was a pretty big sticking point for CDNs, really. Eliminating that second round trip would have been a, a big deal, but that just, just doesn't exist right now as a as a technology, unfortunately. There is actually a posting from Apple on uh, some of the ITEF mailing lists saying, hey, how could we do a a chained HTTP2 push? Which was a, well, there there kind of isn't a way to do it right now, unfortunately. So eliminating that that kind of second origin round trip was was certainly a, a big deal. For CDNs and you know, getting a programmatic HTTP2 push into some of the CDNs is going to be a, a long, long lead time. And at a fundamental level, and at least in my mind, for this technology to gather major adoption, it had to work across all the major CDNs pretty quickly, in my opinion. And, and that means, you know, that all of the major CDN players had to have a way to get this technology into real time. Because if you think about the use cases for low latency HLS, you know, a lot of use cases I think in people's minds are, well, let's do my next big sporting event using low latency HLS. And that means having a really good multi-CDN strategy, right? So if you if you don't have that, then you're in a bit of a pickle. There was one other little complication with the HTTP2 push approach, which was that it did require the manifests and the segments to be served from the same edge hostname, which uh, unfortunately many uh, people in the video industry have spent a very long time decoupling their manifest servers from their, their kind of media delivery stacks, uh, <laughs> speak from experience. And uh, that, that kind of uh, eliminated all that, that hard work. So that, you know, again, limited the ability to use a true multi-CDN stack. So, you know, one of the pieces of backing out the HTTP2 bush was, was to, to deal with that as well. Interesting. So I, I will say one thing I've been surprised by in this whole process was like, I kind of thought that this was coming faster. Mm-hmm. Than it did. Mm. You know, this is looking at the past with some rosy glasses for sure. But it, <laughs> it felt like the the community spec, the Bartos spec, was was close. Like it, there were people working on implementations. We were working on an implementation. Felt like there was momentum. I agree. And then like this spec was released, everything else halted. Like came to a screeching halt because it was just like, why work on something that's just going to die in a few months theoretically? And then I, I kind of thought that we would see. A few big names rolling it out almost immediately, and that just hasn't happened, as far as I know. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. I think I think there's a few factors to that in in my mind. 
I think really with the feedback from the, hey, this HTTP2 push stuff's going to be really hard. I think that put a big a stopping path on it. And, you know, a lot of people in the industry did obviously start working on it. And, and there were some some products that announced compatibility that, you know, were based on the initial version of the specification as well. But obviously with without kind of any really good place to play it or like a comprehensive cross environment place to play it. You know, there wasn't much much noise about that really. And and I agree. It suddenly, you know, it felt like there was a lot of momentum behind getting a uh, ultra low latency solution in place or, you know, even, you know, even a, a consistent, reliable five second latency <laughs> in place, right? Um, which which I think, you know, was a, a big halt on. I think I think there was a component of once bitten twice shy about this. Mm. Um, you know, when in October, there were two meetings uh, with Apple, which involved you know large portions of the video streaming industry. One after Mahai Video in Denver, and one uh, after Demuxed in Cupertino. And I think you know in late last year, it became pretty clear that there were going to be changes, uh, namely to remove uh, the HTTP two push piece of the puzzle. So I, I think I think really people understood that. You know, without changes to specification, there wasn't going to be mass adoption. I think now, and now we've got a timeline of you know it being in iOS, tvOS, watchOS, uh, and macOS, and that sort of thing. Uh, we're, we're going to see a lot of momentum behind it this time for sure, and I'm I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see everyone's implementations, and really excited to see how quickly it it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like this is something as an industry we desperately need. And honestly, I'm kind of shocked that we haven't seen Dash eat up more mm, yep. market share. Yeah. And market share is not the right phrase, but you know what I mean. I'm, I'm surprised like Dash just hasn't kind of left HLS in the dust because of this, and, and that's purely because of iOS's power. But yeah. that's kind of surprising to me. I completely agree with you. You know, this was arguably one of the, the biggest opportunities for Dash to gain market share. But I completely agree. You know, there's if you can't do it on iOS, you know, for Many organizations that can be sixty plus percent of viewership, uh, <laughs> depending on you know your target market. So you know if you can't hit your primary market, then then why bother, right? And as well, I think beyond that, there is a reluctance in many many organizations to give that split experience, right? That uh, hey, if you're watching on an iPhone, sorry, you get. You know, thirty seconds latency, but hey, good. You know, get get an Android phone or or watch on your your desktop, and you'll get you know ultra low latency five seconds. I think there is a big reluctance in traditional media outlets, particularly to to give that split uh, user experience for sure. Oh, it looks like you just made a, a shitty app on one platform. Is what that yeah, ends up yeah. looking like on the premium platform as well. Right. That's <laughs> like, it's like oh, you've got you know you got a twelve hundred dollar iPhone eleven Pro. Yeah, sorry, that's going to be thirty seconds late and see that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So speaking of Dash, you, you've mentioned parts a few times. Are, are we still with TS here? Like, how does that look in this new in this new spec? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is something that hasn't changed from the first version of the specification. So one of the, the core pieces of this new specification is, is what Apple are calling parts. And they have a little bit of a flexible definition of that, but I would say think of this as something smaller than a segment that, that doesn't necessarily have to contain a complete gop, is how I would, would define it. And Apple consider these to be either uh, a small chunk of TS, you know, it still has to be a valid sub, uh, you know, a valid TS 
segment as it was, just shorter and not necessarily with an iframe in it. Or Apple defined us as a, a CMath chunk. And that's super exciting because, as you mentioned, Dash Low Latency also uses CMath chunks. Now, a CMath chunk isn't isn't anything super special. You know, it's a, a, a MOOF MDAT tuple, which contains, yep, some video data and, you know, maybe has an iframe, maybe doesn't, you know. And the idea is that these parts are between... Um, Apple have a pretty flexible definition of how long a part can be, um, I would say, roughly speaking, parts are going to be between 300 milliseconds or 333 milliseconds, probably, and probably a second at the higher end. And they, yeah, are just kind of sub-segments or sub-fragments of, of your more traditional segment, as you think of it, in a, in a HLS playlist. So... The exciting thing is those are fundamentally interchangeable with with dash low latency as a a chunk of media, which is great. So I think this is going to be a big driver for you know people. Um, people have already obviously started merging their dash and HLS delivery chains as as HLS introduced you know CMAF delivery a, a while ago um, now. So that, that's available to to most Apple devices these days. Um, but this is going to be another encouragement to kind of unify that delivery. Um, um, stack for sure. Nice. Okay, with with all of these other things that we're talking about in the HLS spec, Dash having their own low latency thing, does this start to get us to a place where you mentioned earlier, like people have started had started going down this path of like breaking apart manifest generation from media, mm-hmm. and that was actually looking pretty good for a little while there because we'd already gotten to yeah. fragmented MP4 support in new versions of iOS. Which meant that Dash and HLS could support the same underlying segments, and so you could just generate new different manifests. Does this new spec, like the CMF support, seems like it helps there? Mm-hmm. But everything else I'm hearing about this feels like you would really be kind of building two completely disparate systems if you wanted to support low latency Dash and this low latency version of HLS. Am I am I reading that wrong? So that was certainly true of the first version of the specification. Uh, of this version, no. You should be able to use one delivery chain for your media to deliver both your, your CMAF chunks as parts for Apple's low latency HLS and dash LL kind of CMAF chunks as well. They should be completely interchangeable. They are basically delivered in kind of the exact same way because of the dropping of a requirement for HTTP2 push, mm-hmm. you know, Apple's requirement now is just that you can get a CMAF chunk and you can. There's some really interesting intricacy. We'll go into it uh, in a minute around how you can get these CMAF chunks, but uh, they are the kind of the delivery technique. While it while it kind of is described a little bit differently in the two specifications, Apple have been. Fairly reluctant to call what they're doing chunked transfer encoding, but it really is chunk transfer encoding by by any other name at this point. I, I think they do actually call it chunk transfer in the, the latest version, but you know, the, the caveat there is like chunk transfer encoding doesn't really exist in HTTP two. <laughs> it's just you know something without a content length header. So you know, it's it's a little a little more complicated than that from a you know like a, a definition perspective. So. What the beauty is of of this specification is, yeah, in, in 
from a practical standpoint, it is interchangeable. So we've talked a little bit about these chunks. Uh, Visa, Visa advertise. If you think about the dumbest implementation you could do for a low latency HLS, what happens is uh, you load up your playlist, you then download you know, the last segment, and then you look at the part definitions. So these are new definitions in the playlist called ext.x part, and they just pretty much have a URL to a part in them. And then kind of the, the dumbest implementation is the player fetches those parts and off it goes. And it can just just really small parts. Now, that'll fall apart really quickly, which is why Apple have the blocking preload hint for media. So this is where the manifest can contain a what's called XX preload hint. So what this is, is effectively a notification of an upcoming part. So this is saying to the, the player, hey, you can request this part and this is just the exact same technologies they're using on the blocking playlist reload, which is you can request this part in advance of it becoming available, and you can also request the playlist in advance of it becoming available. So if you know that there's an upcoming little chunk of media, you can ask for it before the encoder has even generated it, and the CDN and the packager are going to have to hold on to that request until it's available. So this is kind of reducing all of that segment delay concept that we talked about earlier on. So... That's kind of the the first step of implementing this would be to, you know, hey, ask these parts and ask these playlist deltas upfront before they're available. And, you know, that reduces this segment delay in getting these parts down to you, which is great. That alone doesn't really make you interchangeable with Dash low latency. Dash low latency uses kind of traditional chunk transfer encoding, delivering CMAF chunks. So, you know, the, the encoder and packager generate, you know, you ask for segment four and the packager goes, cool, here's a bit of segment four. And the player can decode that and play it. Here's another bit of segment four. Okay, decode and play. Here's another bit of segment four, etc. So if you imagine like a a two second uh, segment, that could be split up into four 500 millisecond CMAF chunks. And you know, in Apple's world, yep, you could do the same, and you could just actually add those as like parts onto your onto the bottom of your manifest, and that would work just fine. You could even address them as as byte ranges if you wanted, but. The elegance of what Apple have actually designed here goes a little bit beyond that. So you can define a part as a byte range, but you can also define a part as a a byte range of an upcoming segment that doesn't yet have a length. So if you imagine you've generated segment three, you're about to start generating segment four. Uh, You start delivering segment four, you can make a range request for bytes naught, kind of onwards in that segment. So the way that Apple have, have want this to work is that just like in chunk transfer encoding, you would send that CMAF chunk as soon as you had it available. The idea is provided you can make an upfront range request for kind of that whole segment, you can just deal with it as if it was like chunk transfer encoded, sending these 500 millisecond CMAF chunks down. Now, the idea is you would still be updating your playlist while you were doing this request. You'd still be saying, and you know, there is, and we now know how long that CMAF part was, that chunk was. So I now know the length. If anyone else was joining the stream, it can catch up by using exact byte ranges rather than having to make this open-ended request. It can catch up using like little bits of the request. And there's, there's other reasons you might want to request 
sub parts anyway, mainly due to if you need to jump between playlists more efficiently. So there is there is reasons you might want that outside of uh, the startup behavior. So there are totally other reasons you you might want to ask for uh, parts individually with with knowing their range outside of just uh, the startup behavior as well. So this byte range addressability of the parts themselves would that allow you to like so okay in traditional HLS manifests a really common thing to do was like stitch together manifest mm-hmm. toss an ext ext discontinuity tag in between them mm-hmm. uh, and then bam you've got like concatenated playlists mm-hmm. um, so be able to do this all the time for pre rolls and add insertion and all that sort of stuff where it didn't work very well at all is if you didn't have a perfect clip between the two. Mm. So would this allow you to do, you know, I, I hesitate to say like frame accurate, but could you reasonably use this byte range request to like say like start mid this chunk or this part and mid this chunk and then stitch those manifests together? Is that the kind of thing this would allow or, or is that kind of out of the scope of what we're talking about here? Oh man, I wish I could answer that with 100% confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can discontinuity in the middle of a part, but I'm not 100% sure. Got it. So this, right right now, this is more from the perspective of like jumping into a playlist, uh, yeah. not necessarily like within like sub-manifest. Yeah, that's correct. Got it. So this is super cool. You know, if you imagine treating two interchangeable head ends the same way, one for dash LL and one for LLHLS, we're, we're kind of now there because you can you can deliver these as long as you're using kind of the byte range addressable format within LLHLS that is fundamentally compatible with, with dash LL, which is super exciting. It should just work. Now, there's a caveat. <laughs> there always is. There is a little bit of work remaining to be done on the CDN end of this. Some CDNs don't currently support responding with a a kind of sub piece of uh, something that you're byte range addressing. Some CDNs will consider like that open ended byte range request to be completed on like the first the first like and it's it's finished like it's, it's complicated. But yeah, uh, there is a little bit of work to do on some CDNs for sure to get to a place where that will be working kind of completely compatible with everything else. So just kind of the, it's a little more complicated because while this is working today on all major CDNs for dash LL, doing it with an open-ended range request is not how dash LL is doing it today. It's just doing a, a HTTP get for that upcoming segment rather than what we'll be doing in, in LLHLS, which is a range request for that upcoming segment as well. So it, it is subtly uh, different and that does require a little bit of work for sure. Got it. So at one point you mentioned being able to jump between renditions. That's has always kind of been a, one of those things where it works in HLS today. That's one of the big benefits, but um, it can be <laughs> a little jarring or slow. Like, is that related? Like, what do you mean when you say jumping between renditions? How does that change from the current implementations? Yeah, it changes a little bit, and one of the challenges with with doing this and. As we discussed in the first episode, one of the challenges with with all low latency uh, technologies is you're always going to have this trade off, right? This trade off of stability um, and you know buffer length and, and scalability for a chunk of latency. So 
being able to react to changing network conditions in a low latency mode is really, really important, right? You're so much more impacted by minor network fluctuations uh, than you otherwise would be if, you, if you've got a significant buffer built up. So what Apple wanted to do is, is have a way to jump between renditions really quickly. And to enable that, they've added something called rendition reports. This is something that was actually originally uh, optional in the spec, but has now become mandatory. And effectively all this does is allow you in a, a response to a playlist or a Delta playlist update to give the client a peek into another playlist. And, and in fact, to give a client a peek into all of a playlist now as it has become mandatory. So you just basically say, uh, hey, I'm on part 42 of the following segment and, you know, so that if you needed to make a, a Delta manifest request for a different rendition, you would be able to do that without necessarily needing to go and fetch that whole manifest, parsing or working out where you are. So it reduces the round trips when you just want to jump as quickly as possible into a different rendition, which should make a big difference. You know, something we haven't talked about extensively that I think is is exciting is, you know. Obviously, bandwidth estimation is is hard for low latency. You know, you're so much more sensitive to jitter and that sort of thing. And that's one of the things that that the HTTP two push change had a big challenge of as well. HTTP two push was was not going to be easy to measure in the browser, whereas this approach should be a, a good chunk easier to measure performance wise in the browser. So hopefully, you know, that that then means that rendition reports are are much more useful, obviously, because you are able to to understand quicker when you have a bandwidth constrained uh, network. So that's that's important for sure. That's awesome. Thanks for the high level overview. That, well, that wasn't even that high level, but thank you for the overview there, Phil. <laughs> uh, Okay, probably should give a quick overview of what's going on with Demuxed right now. Um, we've kind of mentioned this a few times. You've probably heard rumors or seen, seen stuff around, but we are going to be an online native event this year. It's official. By the time this, is, this podcast is released, the website should be up and the emails should have gone out. And the call for paper should be open. So it's open for all of July, 2020.demux.com slash submit. The deal is same dates as we were planning in person, October 7th and 8th, with Bonus sixth, um, and part of the reasoning there is we're we're going to try to go in the morning, particularly since Demux Europe was the first casualty of COVID. This allows us to reasonably allow a lot of Europe to also join if we maintain most of the talks being more in the morning. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do three days, keep the content in the morning, keep the afternoons free. That way, Europe can still join. Um, most of the US can still join comfortably. And that way we can we can try to be at least a little bit more internationally friendly. But yeah, so we'll we'll take talks, we'll help you record them. It's gonna be great. We're really excited. I mean, there's mm. there's like Phil and I've been talking about this a lot. And honestly, I've to be terribly honest, I've been procrastinating making the announcement because <laughs> it sucks. Like it's I, I really enjoy like seeing a lot of people in person in an avenue that's not like a giant soulless trade floor. Mm. There's something really exciting about like seeing a lot of friends in the industry that way. Oh yeah. And it's a bummer that like that's not going to happen this year. So just want to be upfront that that part does kind of suck a little bit. That being said, we're actually really really excited about the possibilities here. Like we've got a lot of great ideas about how we want to handle chat interaction and what the speaker uh, experience looks like. And we've been going to a lot of, of <laughs> online events. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> and speaking at them. Uh, 
I think we've at least got a good uh, framework for how a well-run online event yeah. looks and how we can make it a good experience for everybody involved, or at least as good as can be expected given the circumstances of everybody needing to be home. Yeah, I think we're we're lucky from that perspective, right? You know, we're we're in October. The world has had a little bit of time to adjust to this stuff, and you know, we're not going to be one of the first, you know, rushing to do this. So, I think that gives us a great opportunity. Totally, one hundred percent. And the other piece of good news here is uh, I will not get a single complaint about chairs uh, this year. Man, my sofa is so uncomfortable, Matt. Please ship me a sofa. <laughs> yeah. If, if anybody's complaining about their chair this year, that is your own damn fault. You should probably make an investment there. Uh, this this Aeron is just not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll figure out some other fun, like there's some other fun stuff that we've got in the pipeline around swag and oh, yeah. so excited. all sorts of stuff like that. Um, making sure to give to good causes, that's a piece of this too. Mm-hmm. So we, we wrote a whole thing online. You should go read it about the reasoning and logistics, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you have thoughts, questions, suggestions, feel free to reach out. And we're also doing a matching right now. So part of the ticket sales, that's all going to go to social awareness causes. But if you want to give right now, outside of your ticket, we're matching up to $5,000 of donations. The places we'll be donating our matches to is splitting between the ACLU and Dev Color, which... If you're not familiar, you should look it up. It's it's really great. Yep. They're in our YC batch. We're friendly. But we will also accept donations to other organizations, bail funds, if there are organizations that you know that are working with diversity, inclusion, and social justice. Feel free to donate to those and just send us the receipt and we'll match to ACLU or DevColor as part of that. And especially if you're if you're international, if there's someone local like me, please do feel free to donate to your local charity as well for sure. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you all so much for taking the time to listen. And we look forward to recording more of these. And as always, let us know what you think. And hopefully we'll see you at least online in October. Yeah. And tell us what subjects you want us to cover as well. We'd love to get more feedback on that as well. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. And we'll, we'll see you next time. Bye. That's all we have for today. But as always, we'd love to hear what you thought, even if you disagree. So please reach out on Twitter at Demuxed. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 